0: Good morning, again. So we're continuing here in the book of James. Has this been good for everybody so far? Yeah, it's a, it's a, I love what Brother Jay said. It's, it's hard truth, but it's good. It's, it's what we need to hear sometimes, right? To get in our kitchen a little bit and hear about the, the hard truths of God's word. You know, I think that this verse kind of summarizes uh, what we've been going through here in the book of James. 2 Corinthians 13:5 says, "Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you." Do you see that? Isn't that a good word? Isn't that a good word? Jesus Christ is in you. Now let, let me summarize the last few weeks just kind of using that as the platform. It, it's, it's, here it is. is we, the first teaching out of James was this issue about tests, trials in our life, right? Now do you remember what, what trials were like before you became a Christian? How difficult they were? You t- couldn't understand them. They were frustrating. They angered you. Anything went wrong in your life, it was, just, it was overwhelming. Amen? But then Jesus Christ came into your life. He lives within you. Praise the Lord. So now, now you go into trials. You can actually go into trials, count it all joy. You can enter trials with joy because Jesus Christ Himself lives within us. And we know that God in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. We know that it is for our good and His glory and we can count it all joy. We couldn't do that before Jesus Christ came into our life. Second thing was temptations, right? How did you deal with temptations before Jesus came into your life? I, I didn't even call them temptations. I don't know about you. It was my way of life, right? We, we were slaves to sin. We just gave into it. We just did what the flesh wanted. Satan said do this, eat that, drink this, smoke that. Whatever he said to us, we just said okay, let's do it. We had no power over the temptation in our life. But then Jesus, Jesus lives within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now we have power over sin. Anybody else excited about this? We we can now say no to sin because Jesus lives inside of us. It's amazing. Now I, I confess, are we completely victorious? No, we're not. But, if you look in the rearview mirror, you should see some of the sins that used to control your life and dominate your life that you are free from now because of Jesus living inside of you. It's wonderful. And you know what? This journey continues. We're going to keep fighting the fight. And I don't think we're going to have complete victory until we get to glory. But where we've come from and where we are now as Christ followers is amazing. Okay, what was the third truth? I'm testing you here. The Word of God. The third truth was the Word of God. So trials, temptation, and the third was the Word of God. So here's the question How did you view the Word of God before Christ came to live within you? To me, it was. What's that? Didn't view it. Didn't view it at all. Okay, I appreciate that correct. To me, it was like kryptonite and Superman. I don't know. That's the only thing I could think of this week. Is that when I got around the Word of God, it was like. It was just. I started yawning, just looking at the Bible. As a kid, the only way I got through church is my mom had a, a pack of those fruit-flavored uh, Lifesavers, right? So she would see me starting to fall, and she'd start pumping those Lifesavers into me. I was always hoping for the pineapple. That was the only thing I prayed for back then, was the pineapple Lifesavers as I sat in the pew. But it was dead to me. It was boring. It was, a, it was probably the most boring book to me that I ever would even consider back then. But then Jesus, Amen. Jesus came to live within us. And now how do you view the Word of God? Love it. It's the foundation of our life. It's, what we, it's where we come to meet with Jesus. It's come to have a relationship with the God of the universe. It's where we get wisdom in every aspect of our life, and our marriages, our finances, our relations, everything about our life, we can find guidance from God's Word. Isn't that wonderful? The only reason that's true is because Jesus lives within us. And then the fourth truth. Who knows? The fourth one from last week. It was only last week. Should I put up that triangle again about retention levels based on? So here, here it is. The last one was about others. It's discrimination. So one more time. How did you view others before Christ came to live within you? He didn't care. I. Yeah, that's good, Jeff. I appreciate that. And I, I would say we categorized them. We had categories. I've told you this many times. We had categories, categories of people, right? Red, yellow, black, and white, rich and poor, famous, unknown, educated. We, we just categorized people based on what we knew about them as they were within the world, right? By how the world defined them, we would define them. Are you with me on that? But how do you view people now? Now that Jesus lives in you, how do you view people now? What's that? You love them? Praise the Lord. Thank you. Two types of people, right? Lost and saved. And we're right, we love them now. We love. What does the Bible say? Love your, uh, your, your neighbors, yourself. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's, a, that's how we view people now, completely different. And we don't have categories anymore except for lost and saved. That's because Jesus lives within us. Isn't that awesome? That's what I hope you're getting out of this teaching in James. In fact, what I want to do is I'm going to give you a couple minutes right now because if that's true for you, I'm just going to give you a minute to pray and praise Jesus for what He's doing in your life and the freedoms He's giving you in all these areas. So go ahead and take a minute to pray and then we'll continue with our teaching. Thank Jesus. Ask Him to come and save you. Repent. Father in heaven, we gather here this morning at the Oasis Church, this little church of yours in the middle of Aurora. We're grateful for this place and the the ministry that you've created in this place. And Father, we do cry out and we thank you. We thank you for each one of us that has been born again, that Jesus lives within us. We praise you for that truth that Jesus is leading us and guiding us in all of life. And Lord, we do cry out for those that are sitting here this morning that do not know you, that they would be convicted by the Holy Spirit through the living Word of God and that they would repent and be saved. We love you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. So here's our little outline that we've been working through, and today we're moving on to saving faith and works. Are you ready for that? You can open your Bibles to James chapter 2, 14 through 26. Our brother Charles is going to open the word for us this morning. And uh, so James chapter 2, 14 through 26, if you're actually using a Bible or your phone. I see some people with real Bibles, that's nice. And uh, it's up here, too. And if you'd please stand for the reading of God's Word.
1: What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Charles.
0: Let me give you just a little historical context here, and then we'll get into the... If you have a bulletin, we're going to be going over three primary points, false confession, false compassion, false conviction. Those are the that's your outline for this morning. So, but a little historical context, I want you to get a picture of what's going on in this early church setting, and then we'll kind of apply it to our own day. But in the early church, what, was, what had happened is the, Jewish, the, the uh, Jewish people had been raised generation upon generation in extreme legalism. Are you with me on this? And what I mean by that, it wasn't the law of God. That, that's a blessing. That is good. That is righteous but the religious leaders had added about 350 man-made laws and piled it upon the church, if we can call it that, upon the Jewish people. And it was so overburdening to them. I want you to picture this, that if someone wanted to be a faithful follower of God, they were under constant evaluation, can I do this or can't I do this? Can I go visit my cousin on this day? Can I cook this? What about my animals if they fall in a hole? There were all these man-made laws, and there was an ex- Jesus said you put a burden on them and you're unwilling to take a finger to help them. They were overwhelmed by man's, uh, man's laws that were put upon them. So when they heard the gospel of Jesus, that someone is saved by grace alone through faith alone, the people were excited. This was freedom that they were being offered from all this oppression of the, of the of religious system. And I tell you that because people ran to the church. That was you? Oh, that's interesting. So they ran to the church, some of them just to get out from under the law. And, but other, others that came to the church were truly born again. So James writes this in the context for the church to help to discern who truly are believers and who are not. And it's a blessing to both. It's a blessing for those that are believers that they see that they're truly born again and they have assurance of their salvation. But it's also a blessing to those that aren't saved so that they can evaluate themselves, examine themselves, and hopefully be saved. Right? Now, is it any different in our day? I would say no. I say that now many people come to the church because they're broken and they're hurting and they need to be loved. They need a new family. Is that a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. But even in our context, that's why this teaching is so important, is we have to always be examining ourselves to make sure we're in the faith. Now let me ask you, one of my mentors taught me this. When is the best time to plant a shade tree? Ten years ago. Right? When's the next best time? Today. The next best time is today. If you didn't plant one ten years ago, today is the next best day to plant a shade tree. If you examine yourself and you aren't truly saved, I wish I was saved as a child. I didn't get saved till I was 32 years old. But the reality is, if today we're here and we're seeing these truths and they're convicting us, today is a good day to be saved. So if you're convicted, don't get mad and frustrated and start defending yourself in pride. Surrender and, and repent and believe. So that's the historical setting. Let's jump into this first one, which is false confession. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So I guess a general question for us is, do we, do we ever run across people that don't tell the truth? Yeah. How about us? Do we ever not exactly tell the truth? Do you ever exaggerate the truth? Yeah, it's, you know how it is. I mean, for guys, I know more about the, the men's ministry than, than the women, but men are always talking a big game, you, you know? They just are about their sports days and their heydays and, you know, how big their muscles were and how fast they were. And, you know, it just, it, it's amazing how all these professional athletes that we have this blessing to be with every day here in the church... But, you know, what we find out as men is as we get together with these guys and maybe start engaging in some of these activities, we find okay, not so. so but, but the reality is that's also true in the church, and that's what James is talking about, is that these people that come along and talk a big game, but he says we should see it in their works. We should see it in their fruit. Don't just trust what people say about their faith with Jesus. We need to see it and how it's practically being lived out day to day. Does that make sense? It's a false confession of faith that they're making. Now, you know, this is some of the things I can remember that, you know, when I first started at Wayside uh, Mission, you know, I'd be in this little uh, discipleship room with a guy, and oh my gosh, I was so impressed with these guys. They knew the Word so well, and they had a loving grandmother, and I just, I said, wow, this guy's really on fire for Jesus. And then I'd be walking out, and I'd hear him over at the smoke shack swearing like a sailor. Are you with me? So, so I mean, a lot of people make profession of faith, but we have to look at the fruit in their life to see if it's really uh, a saving faith or not. I hear people today say, you know, I love the Lord God with all my heart and all my mind and all my soul and all my strength, but you know what? I I'm too busy to go to church. I'm too busy to go to Bible study. You know what? I, I love doing my devotions, but not right now. i got, I got too much on my plate to be in the Bible every day. Do those two truths lined up? I love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, but I don't have time to, to be involved in God's world. I have others that tell me, they come to the church, and say, you know, really, I want to get involved here. I really want to serve the Lord. I, I want to find my place, and I want to give to this church and this kingdom. But I'm a little busy right now. But I'm going to get around to it. Right? Are you with me on this? And then we, then we, when we, have, we have a sermon like we did in Matthew about the, the Great Commission. You know, the Great Commission, that, that's why we're still here, that, that go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to be everything I've commanded. I mean, that's why we're here. We're here to, but, you know, I just never seem to find these divine appointments. I never have those opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. So basically their their false confession of faith is they, they say they want to be serious about their walk with the Lord. They want to be all about the kingdom of God. They want to be all about making disciples, but just not right now. Someday. Once I get through this season, that season, next season. That's a false confession of faith. Now, what James is teaching, you find throughout the entire Bible. This is nothing new that James is bringing to the body, but I'm going to share with you a few verses just to confirm that out of the New Testament, but you also find it in the Old Testament. Look here. This is John the Baptist. You remember John the Baptist? He's the forerunner to Jesus. He was baptizing people to get them ready for the coming of the Messiah. He was baptizing them in the Jordan River, right? Is everybody okay this morning? Okay. So here's here's John the Baptist, he says, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I don't think John the Baptist would be a good greeter at the front door of any church, do you? Can you see him standing at the front door with the ins and a visitor comes in? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee? No, I don't think he would, but, but look what he says next. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And look what they say. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise, raise these stones of children of Abraham. What is he saying to them? You're trusting in your false confession of faith. You're trusting in the fact that you're a descendant of Abraham, the chosen nation of Israel. And you think because of that, you're, you are, let's just use our term, that you are born again, that you are a Christ. You are saved. In their own language, right? He says, he, he can raise up descendants of Abraham from these stones right here. He said, How you prove that you're truly saved is you have to have fruit of repentance in your life. You have to be let's just go over the first four beatitudes that I'm sure you all have memorized now. But blessed are blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn over their sinfulness, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied, and blessed are the meek, the humble, who have submitted their life to Jesus, for they shall inherit the earth. Those are fruits of repentance, someone that lives those truths out. That's what John's talking about. So it's no different than what James is saying to us. Where is the fruit in your life? And Jesus says here in, in Matthew 7, which we've already studied as a church, you will recognize them by their fruits, or grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the disease treat bears bad fruit. So what's the fruit in your life, brothers and sisters? Anger, selfishness, pride, worldliness, lust? Or is it is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness? How about self-control? Is that what emulates your life is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Look at what next few more for you. I had a hard time selecting which ones to go over. I love this one here in John 8. Uh, the Jews who had belief. So Jesus got done preaching the gospel. I'll picture this. He gets done preaching the gospel and all these people come up and say, oh, we believe. We're, we, we'd love, you know, we want to follow you, Jesus, right? And what does he say? If you hold to my teaching. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. I appreciate you walking the aisle. I appreciate you saying the sinner's prayer and all the rest of the things you've done. But if you hold to my teaching, then you're really a child of God. Do you see that? How about 1 John 3.10? Very clear picture. But this is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. We're either under one camp or the other, amen? You can't, you, that's, there's no in-between. We're either, we either under the, the authority of Satan in our life or we're under the authority of Jesus Christ. You, do you agree with me? Okay. So, so that's what he's saying here. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So some very practical fruit. If you're pursuing righteousness in your life, if you want to live the godly life, and if you can really truly love your brothers and sisters as you love yourself, that's evidence of a truly born-again person. Jesus said in Matthew five sixteen In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And Matthew 7 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So do you see this, brothers and sisters? A false confession by someone that professes Jesus Christ, but as we examine their life, there's no fruit. There's no evidence of a saved person. There's no change in their life in what they do, what they love, how they live. I pray that doesn't describe any of you, If it does. today's a good day to plant a shade tree. Second truth he goes into here is the false compassion. So it says here, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So, in, in, i in our culture, many people have food and clothing, but maybe they don't have affordable housing or safe housing. They, they need help getting their license back. They need help finding a decent job. A lot of our brothers and sisters need transportation. Some need additional education or job training. Some need help with medical costs. I go on and on the list of the needs within our church. And a lot of you have lived through these through the church, right? And here's what the person's saying. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I'll pray for you. That's what they're saying. Oh, really? You lost your job? Oh, I'm sorry. I'll pray for you. Are we supposed to do that? Well, we should pray for them, but but the the call he's saying here is you need to get engaged. If a brother and sister is in trouble and they need something, we need to engage practically that is false compassion to say, well, may God bless you, may God take care of you, may God God get you that ride to your job, right? Right? You you okay with all this? And you know what? I'll just say I love our church. Can I get on our church for a minute? I love our church because two things that I love about our church is one is we have a church where people are indeed that come here. That's awesome. I came to a church. I came from a church one of the mega churches where you know where they would spend their money is on leather couches and hallways that no one would sit in. Are you with me on that? And I'd be tithing to the church going, it's crazy. You're spending it on these couches that no one's going to sit on. There's got to be people that have more need than that. But our church is a little simple church. Resources come in and we funnel it to people in need. Isn't that awesome? So that's one thing I love. It's a missional church. People say to me as a pastor, well, do you do mission trips? Yeah, I do. It's 20 North Lincoln Avenue. That's where I go on a mission trip every week. I don't need to go to Africa. Not that that's bad, Ralph. (laughs) But I, every, but we have a missional church where, where we can serve one another and actually be involved. The second thing I love about our church is so many of you get this. So many of you get this. You have no idea of all the things going on here. People giving rides, people helping people, people giving money. People, you have no idea of all the stuff that goes on in this little church helping one another. It's beautiful. And I won't tell you who they are because then they'll lose their blessing in heaven. So we'll just leave it there. But a lot of you, I praise God, I do see what you do, and I praise God for it. It's awesome. So this is false confession. Look at this little picture here. I love this of the early church. I think, you know, just it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Isn't that beautiful? But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. That's a beautiful picture of compassion and action in the local church. And again, I praise God for so many of you that, that, that lived that out. So then he goes to the third and the last uh, challenge here. False confession of faith. People will say things, but we watch for their fruit. False compassion. People won't actually engage in helping others in need. And then false conviction. This is more of a theological debate I see between James and and this group of people. <clears throat> he says here, but someone will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Do you see that? So you You kind of picture this scene going on, this guy's confronting, you know, James is confronting these people, and he's saying, listen, I was saved by faith alone and grace alone. It's not by works. Of course, Ephesians wasn't written yet, but that was the truth they were saying. And so, James is saying, okay, great, so you you have theological knowledge about salvation, and look what he says next, you believe God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do so you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And I love this because demons have perfect doctrine. Demons know the Bible better than any human being. Be- demons understand the Trinity better than we will ever understand the Trinity, this side of glory, amen? De- demons, demons understand who God the Father is, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Demons understand. Uh, know that Jesus lived a sinless life, died a perfect sacrificial death, was raised in perfect glory, sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Demons know that. James said, the demons have the theology better than you do. And you're telling me that you're saved by grace alone through faith alone, and I'm telling you that your faith will be proven out by how you live your life. Here it is, brothers and sisters. Information is not what God's interested in. He's interested in transformation. He's interested in us taking little pieces of God's truth, digesting them, and having them change who we are so that it's practically lived out. Are you with me on this? So these guys had all kinds of information, and they could could quote the Westminster Catechism. It wasn't written either yet. But they, they had good doctrine. They were raised in a very strict Jewish culture, but they had no fruit in their life. It wasn't being lived out practically in every, any aspect of their life. And so James is confronting them. You have false confession of faith, you have false compassion of faith, and you have false conviction of faith. Okay, a couple more. Just let me dig into this a little bit more. I think some of you probably heard Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. That is often touted. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So, does this go against what James is teaching? No, it doesn't. Because what is, what is Paul talking about here in Ephesians? He's talking about this, brother. Let's Listen up. No one is saved by good works. See, if you look at every false religion, including Catholicism, it is salvation by good works. Right? Are you with me on this? So if I go to Mass every Sunday and I take communion and I make confession, I've got my last rites, I've got my whole list of things, as long as I keep doing all these things within the Catholic Church, then at the end, my time in purgatory will be less before I go to heaven. But I'm going to heaven if I do all these things. Are you with me on that? And by the way, every false religion... Uh, Muslim faith is all good works. That's why you have suicide bombers because they believe that's an instant ticket to heaven for them. But every every other religion, Hinduism, Buddhism, they're all going. I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. I don't know if I've done enough good. I don't know what my score sheet looks like. That is that is from the pit of hell. Because we are saved by grace alone and faith alone. God does save us as we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. We will be saved. But what James is saying, he's not contradicting this, because look what the next verse is in Ephesians 2.10 says. What does he say in verse 10? He says, For we all, his workmanship created Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand for that we should walk in him. So he's just saying, and this is that you're not saved by good works, because so no one will boast. You, you can't be saved by good works. It's by God alone, by faith alone, through grace alone. He says, but if you're truly born again, you should be producing good Root in your life. It should be evident that you're a new creation. Because look at this, brothers and sisters. At salvation, we're giving a new mind. We're given a new heart. We're given a new nature. When you add those three together, it should equal a new life. Right? That's what he's saying here. Everybody okay still? All right. Then I just want to hit these because... Then he gives two illustrations to the Jewish people. We'll touch on them briefly. Two perfect illustrations to the Jews that were listening to this message. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was countered to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not faith alone. Now, just briefly, you know, you go to Genesis 15:6. Here we see that uh, Abraham believed in the Lord and he was declared righteous. What does that mean? That means Abraham was saved by grace alone through faith alone, earlier on in the book of Genesis. And then much later, not to Genesis 22, uh, do we find him going up to uh, sacrificing Isaac. So he was saved by grace alone, and Abraham lived this perfect life all the way to Isaac, right? No. He called his wife his sister a couple of times. You know, he, he fell a number of times in the process, but he was being sanctified. And this was like the big final test of his faith through works, which was go offer your own son Isaac on the altar. Now, the other thing about Abraham is what he could have said, but he's quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But he could have said, wait a minute, God, you told me you're going to build a nation from my son. What are you talking about? You want me to go sacrifice him? God, didn't you tell us that murder is a sin? And you want me to murder my own son? Didn't you teach us it's a sin to offer living sacrifices on the altar, your altar? Is that what Abraham did? No. Quick to obey. Yes, God. And then we see his faith, and we know that he trusts God. He knew God. He had saving faith. He believed that God is good, that all things work for the good. Because look at this in Genesis 22, 5. He gets to the bottom of the mountain with his servants, the donkey full of firewood, and Isaac. He says, stay here with the donkey. He's talking to the servants. And and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship, and we will return to you. He didn't know how God was going to get it done, but he knew God wasn't going to take his son because he made those promises. He just believed God, didn't know if he was going to raise him from the dead or what was going to happen. But he says, hey, we're going up here. We're going to come back. Do you see that? What a beautiful picture of saving faith being proven out by the fruit of his faithfulness in in works. And then he goes on to the, he he gets the the extremes here. Then he goes to Rahab, the prostitute. And the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out the other way. And you guys all know that story. That's uh, when they're entering the promised land. It's the city of Jericho. And there's two spies sent in, and the king's aware of it. He sends, I love, this is a great Sunday school lesson for kids, by the way. So then he sends out these two spies, and they get in there, and, and the king sends a message to Rahab, the prostitute, and says, listen, there's two spies. We want you to tell them where they are. What does she do? She hides them on the roof and tells them, oh, no, I, they left. They went out through the gate before you closed the gate at dark. You better go fast and try to go catch them. This is paraphrased, obviously. But that's what's going on here. And she hid them. And here's what she says. She says to them, I know the Lord has given you the land. I, we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. We heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan. And then she says, For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven, above, and earth beneath. What does she have? She has faith. She's saved by faith alone through grace alone but it was proven out that she sacrificed her own life. If the king found out, she would be executed. But she risked her own life. And we get this picture. We've got Abraham, a noble Chaldean, Rahab, a common Canaanite, Abraham, a great leader, Rahab, a prostitute, Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, Rahab, a Gentile. But he gets both ends and everything in between. Everybody is saved by grace alone and faith alone. And it's proven out by how we live out our lives. By the way, don't you love this about Rahab that she becomes the great-grandmother of David? And we find the lineage of Jesus Christ comes from Rahab, a prostitute. Jesus Christ has the lineage to a prostitute. That fires me up. That's the God we serve. Can you just listen to one more set of verses? We'll close with this, okay? Look here. I think this is a great picture of of this being lived out as Jesus comes to His throne of, of glory. Just listen as I read this to you and we'll close with prayer. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations, all the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Let me just say this. I want to make sure you get this. So all the nations are gathered before him. Red, yellow, black, and white. Rich and poor. Educated, uneducated. All your famous athletes, uh, movie stars, whatever you want to put, they're all gathered. And what, does he break them into those kind of groups? What does he break them into? Lost and saved. That's the only way he sees people. Oh, you're, oh, you're the star athlete of this professional sport team? Okay, you're over on this side. <laughs> So he breaks up into two people, Austin say, "Then the king will say to those on his right, "Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom will prepared for you since the creation of the world. Isn't that good news? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, "Lord." When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. True salvation is proved out in the fruit of our life. I don't see any questions about theology here. Where's your doctrinal position? Did you live out the Word of God? Let's pray. Father in Heaven, thank You for Your Word. I pray for all those here today. What an encouragement it is as we are just reaffirmed in the security of our own salvation. And Lord, it's also a kick in the pants, I'm sure, for all of us saved and lost, that we we ought to get busy about the kingdom work at least I feel that way always never doing enough for the king and Lord I also pray for those that are sitting here and they're realizing now in the depths of their souls are not truly saved that they would repent and be saved we love you Jesus in your precious name amen